hello and welcome to the new CNW CNTW IPS podcast, the first episode. Um, my name is John Bolland. Um, I'm the service lead for the IPS service in this trust, and we're really excited to be speaking to you today and trying to kick off a new um, a new opportunity, I suppose, to connect with people who are interested in IPS, who may be users of our service, um, clinicians in the service, or maybe other IPS professionals around the country. We were just keen to have a chat really about IPS, about how we work, what we do, why we think it's cool, um, why you might be interested in it. So thanks very much for joining us. We're hoping to provide this podcast on um, a monthly basis and cover pretty broad topics. Today, we're going to be focusing on um, how our service works, how it looks, um, what we do. Um, but in future, we're hoping to talk about um, how service users find working with us, um, about fidelity reviews, about how to deal with rejection. Maybe uh, if you don't get a job interview or um, sorry, you don't get a job after an interview and, and loads of other interesting IPS related topics. Um, so thank you for joining us today. Oh, I need to mention We've got a, a rule in this podcast. Um, anytime anybody mentions an acronym, uses an acronym, we are going to play a terrifying horn sound to try and force them to stop using acronyms. So if you hear this sound, don't worry, it's uh, it's the acronym alarm. We're going to set it off um, anytime somebody drops an acronym without explaining themselves. Uh I will now hand over to my wonderful IPS colleagues who are joining me on uh, Microsoft Teams today. We're all having to work remotely at the minute because of COVID. Um, and in front of me is a computer screen with nine uh, smiley, if slightly terrified faces. Um, would you guys like to introduce yourselves and say hello? Who's going to be first? <laughs> Hi, I'm Jill. I work currently from my living room and I haven't been with the, the IPS team for very long, about six months now. Thoroughly enjoying my job, but really looking forward to hopefully in the future getting back to working in the community. Cheers, Jill. Whereabouts are you based, Jill? Sorry, did you say? I'm based in the Sunderland area, working in the early intervention team, covering Sunderland from one end to the other. Yeah. Cheers, Jill. Loving it. Thank you very much. Who else have we got? Hi, my name is Jamie White. I'm an employment specialist. I work in the east end of Newcastle at the Molyneux Centre and proud to be part of this great team, supportive, very supportive team. Um, hi, my name's Louise, um, but everybody calls me Lou and um, I'm an employment specialist based in South Tyneside. Um, we're covering South Tyneside um, and I'm usually based at Palmer Community Hospital in Jarrow, uh, where I'm part of the um, clinical treatment team, community treatment team there. Um, and I also work with Jill, um, working in Sunderland South um, with uh, the early intervention psychosis team. Thank you, Lou. Thank you. Thanks very much. And can I say to the to Jill, Jamie, and Lou who've spoken so far, no acronyms used. I was totally expecting to have to drop the acronym bomb. So thank you very much. Well done. Um, we have six other people on the call. Are you guys okay to introduce yourselves? 
Hi, I'm yeah. Rachel. I'm currently based in my kids' toy room. I'm very lucky, though. I have a beautiful view over the hills. My normal place is actually in Gateshead Community Treatment Team. They're all politely looking at each other like, who's going to speak first? Who's going to be next? What you have to remember is, John, that we're so used to putting our hands up on teams <laughs> that now we've just ad-libbing this. So I'll go next. So I'm sat to you from the great broadcasting suite that is my dining room. Um, and Rachel's right. The weather's lovely. And I'm working out of Northumberland. Uh, and just for those of you interested, my name's Mark. All right. <laughs> Cheers, Mark. Somebody else. Flago next, fella. Um, my name's Ian Martin. I'm currently working out of my bedroom, surrounded by washing and ironing. Um, I'm an IPSES, which is Individual Placement Support Employment Specialist, currently working out of Gateshead Driving Centre. Nice one, Ian. Thank you so much. I did say what IPS and ES was. Yeah, I was just so desperate to use the sound effect, but thank you very much. No, this is the reason we're using the horn as well is we're always, um, it's so easy to lapse into like using acronyms, especially in the NHS where we've got lots and lots of acronyms. So yeah, thank you for explaining, Ian. I think, have we got two people? Oh, we've got three people left. Elka, hi, my name's Faye Greaves. I'm the IPS team lead covering... North Cumbria, which is Carlisle, Eden, Allerdale and Copeland. Um, I'm currently at um, Park Lane Community Mental Health Team Base. Um, yeah, that's me. Thanks very much, Faye. And I'm Dee Ewart and I'm based at um, the Community Treatment Team at Monkwea Mouth in Sunderland. I'm the IPS team lead for South of Tyne. Thank you, Dee. And where are you joining us from today? I'm currently in my daughter's gaming room. <laughs> I'm laughing because I can see a cool background. That's why I was asking. <laughs> Thanks, Dee. And last but by no means least. Oh, that'd be me then. Hello. <laughs> so I'm Elsa. I am one of the employment specialists covering Gated Community Treatment Team and North Tyneside Early Intervention Site Courses. I was terrified of your horn there, beautifully John. Done. Beautifully you done, I Elsa. I did it. Thank um, you very yeah, much. Yeah, so I'm currently currently working from my bedroom. Um, again, like Ian, with a very blurry black background because there may be some ironing around the place. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you all very much for introducing yourselves. Um, the first bit of our inaugural podcast today, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about what IPS actually stands for, both like literally and metaphorically, because... I think something we we all got into this. Um, I, I guess none of us like planned to be IPS specialists, did we? But when we first heard about IPS and we understood what it was about and became interested, we kind of got hooked. And now we we live and breathe IPS. But for people who aren't so sure of what it means, um, I wondered if we could just spend a few minutes explaining. And in preparation for. Um, for this particular discussion, I asked some friends on Facebook last night what they thought IPS stood for, and I was quite surprised by some of the uh, by some of the comments. So I asked my dad, and he said he knew that S stands for service, which is absolutely wrong, and it was something to do with mental health and employment. But he had no idea what IPS stood for aside from that. Um, someone else said Laura said infection prevention, Gemma said infection control, Helen said no idea. Denise, a different Denise, said independent payment scheme. Um, Adam shared something that is not broadcastable. Uh, Heather said individual support for employment, which is 
cl- damn close. That's good. Um, Alistair said individual placement and support. 10 points to Alistair. Thank you, sir. Um, Gemma said inspection something service. Sonia said inpatient surveys. Someone said irritable bowel syndrome. And somebody else said, Leanne said, it literally means nothing to me. These acronyms are crackers. Um, so you guys, how do you describe IPS? Do you, when you first meet people and they ask what you do, do you explain what the acronym stands for or do you avoid mentioning IPS and instead talk about employment support? I talk about, John, um, it's IPS is in regards to place and train. So you're getting someone individual placement support instead of training place. It's about building those relationships with employers. So they're able to learn on the job rather than prior to the job. Yeah. So that's, that's the kind of like how I convert to employers anyway. That's beautiful. Like, and so do you deliberately not get tied up in the IPS in the acronym, Jamie? You just jump straight in with, we've got quite a new like way of supporting people, and this is how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I also I do I do use the acronym like IPS. It's a brand new service, individual placement support, supporting people with mental health problems back into paid employment so they're able to contribute to society in a positive way, but also so they're able to internalize that belief themselves that they can find employment and be, yeah. yeah, that's it. Wow, beautiful. beautiful. I'm a little- that's a nice way of putting this, internalizing that belief themselves. I think, Jamie, because that's part of what we do for our service users, isn't it? It has to be said that Ackerman's quite a, a mouthful, isn't it? When it's not an Ackerman, should we put it that way? So when we're talking to the, our service users, I like to kind of keep it quite simple to begin with and talk about supporting you into employment yeah. and it's, helping you to get a job. It's interesting that IPS, like the acronym, doesn't actually have employment in it. So um, it does do what it says on the tin in terms of placing people and providing that support and it being very individualistic. But it's funny that it doesn't com- contain the word employment and yet it's such a, it's obviously the thing that we do. So Ian, were you going to say something? I was just going to say, I generally just concentrate on the individual bit and change placement for employment. So I say it's a completely individualized service for you. It's what you want, where you want to be, and pretty much we work for you. That's what I say to the, the service users, you know. They lead it. We work for them. We try to, you know, it's them as an individual. It's moving them forward. It's exactly what I say, Ian, exactly pretty much I say in a kind of a roundabout way, I now work for you. So whatever you whatever you want to do, I, I will do, you know, kind of do my best to to help that happen. So yeah, no, I'll use that. It's quite cool. I think that's that's really like uh it's really reassuring to hear it. Um, that we all kind of have that same mantra when we're, when we're meeting people and describing what we do. Because from from my point of view, one of the tricky things with employment was that it was always, sometimes particularly people who were receiving care from the NHS might think that employment was like something to be feared. You know, it's something that's forced on you. Um, and with us having a bit of an acronymy name, um, there's a risk that like, that seems very prescriptive and like, this is something that's going to be done to you, but it's lovely that we're the absolute opposite of that. And it's never that like, this is something that is forced on you. It's, it's on your terms actually. And we walk alongside people and uh, Jamie touched on it there, but we talk a lot as a team, don't worry about giving people hope. 
And yes, we get people jobs, but really we're trying to give people like hope and opportunity. Um, so maybe we need to like, we need to add letters to the acronym related to hope. Um, no, they're shaking their heads. <laughs> people are shaking their heads on the video call. Um, is it, um, we, we've talked haven't we, as a team about maybe changing the identity a little bit, like changing the name of the service. And, um, we, we haven't talked a lot about what we're going to call this podcast, but we did do some work with service users recently around branding and marketing. And uh, a gentleman who has used our service came up with um, working better together as a, like a bit of a, a slogan or a tagline. So I wondered if we should call the podcast working better together rather than like CNTW IPS podcast, which sounds a bit formal. Hit the acronym a lot. So was, that your, was that your um, was that your stab at Arnold Schwarzenegger there? Was it, John? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll see. <laughs> that was my that was my terrible Austrian accent. Yeah, um, I, I suppose it's something that we're going to refine over time, isn't it? Like the um, what we call a service, and maybe even what we call a podcast and stuff like that. We can we'll hopefully be able to adapt to what people are find most accessible um, for people who are really new to IPS. Would you guys be comfortable sharing um, where where we work, where we're physically based? I think we kind of touched on it in the introductions, but um, there might be people from across the country who are listening to this. So which areas are we actually working? It's probably obvious from the accents, isn't it? Well, I'm Scottish, John, so that's going to throw it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do go right up to the borders, don't we, Lou? Yeah, we do. Um, I think as far up as Anik and... Berwick? Yeah, we, we go right yeah, up. Yeah, we've got uh, Berwick. So we go from the... Scot right up to Northumberland. That's it, from the Scottish borders down to Sunderland and all the way across to Workington on the West Coast. Um, so basically, the whole of the northeast and northwest, a chunk of the northwest and a bit of the borders as well, yeah. Right up, right up to the Scottish border. Carlisle's on the border. And um, how many have we got on the team, Faye? Just to put you on the spot. 18. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're quite, um, yeah, we're quite, for the geography that we cover, we're quite a small service, but like in the, N in, in NHS, in the NHS, we're a canny-sized group aren't we it's quite a lot of us but um essentially each employment specialist jamie lou rachel ian jill mark each employment specialist covers a geographical area um so jamie is responsible for east newcastle um like lou said in her introduction she actually covers two uh two teams in a particular area so um how do you guys find that kind of being aligned to a particular clinical team and geographical area, is it, do you find it beneficial? Is it easy to kind of wrap your head around or can it be a bit tricky? It's well, really helpful working within the clinical teams because you you know um, your CPNs really well. Acrimin, the nurses who are going to be working alongside, um, oh. <laughs> a bit was, late there. Sorry, I sniffed more. <laughs> So, you know, that the nurses and the occupational therapists and the psychiatrists and psychologists and other people who are going to be supporting the um, service users who are at the centre of 
the work that you're doing. So that helps you to be able to really kind of all get together and give them the support that they need. Um, and also, if there's anything that might not be going quite right, it means, you know, that you can go and talk to them to really help your service user and say, how can we get things working better? Um and also it means you like have the local knowledge to be able to contact the employers, which is important yeah. as well, because um, you're just dealing with like maybe a slightly smaller area than like a, a really massive one. Um, so that helps greatly, I think, to be able to get the local employers and to know where your service users can travel and things like bus routes and that kind of stuff. There's lots of advantages to it. That's, I think you touched on it. Sorry, John. Um I think you touched on it as well there, Rachel, about the, the area. And you did, John, about the geographical like challenges that people face. Like, So I work in the east end of Newcastle and know the area quite well. But I've also worked in Northum Northumberland and, and Sunderland. And I didn't know the areas quite as well. But especially in Northumberland, it's such a geographical challenge because it's it's that big. So I suppose there's advantages and disadvantages to that, but... I was just going to say, I definitely feel that because, do you know, as a service, um, we can't take a one-size-fits-all approach, can we? Because we've got some uh, colleagues who are working in quite rural areas, like we've got Mark uh, D, who's up in... And, and Mark Mark C, who's with us today, who work in into the sometimes the rural areas of Northumberland and then we've got like Jamie and, and Lou who are in much and Jill who are in and Ian sorry and Gateshead who are in much more like highly populated areas where there's like lots of housing and lots of businesses and stuff um and I think that can be tricky sometimes because we're having to think as a service like about how we adapt to these very different environments and uh populations um it's I know I I remember like um when I first started doing employment support in the NHS that lots of people used to ask, it was a running, like not, not a running joke, but it was always funny that a lot of people wanted to work in um, animal care. But um, when we were delivering the support in Newcastle, for example, Newcastle's like an urban environment where there's not very many animal care opportunities. You know, you've got like abattoirs and a couple of like, um, cat and dog shelters and stuff like that and obviously a few vets but there's no farm there's not very many farms or anything like that so um, it's sometimes tricky but the cool thing is because we're a big team and we cover this massive area we're sometimes plugged into opportunities that are you know on the cusp of someone's um, travelling distance maybe so yeah has anyone else got anything they'd like to add about the pros and cons of covering areas or yeah I was going to I was going to say I think you know, as we all know, one of the foundations of individual placement support is being embedded in the clinical teams. And I think that's how we get our best work, you know, speaking with the nurses, finding out, you know, what clients want, what type of jobs they want. And yes, we all do have our own little areas, but I think it is such a big and wide area we cover as a team. When we do have our meetings, we all chip in with different opportunities in different areas. So, Rachel, Lou, Jamie, they'll know what's in their area. I might have somebody who wants to work in that type of environment in that area. I would never, ever in a million years find that find that opportunity out, no doubt. But because we've got the support of our 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 larger team, you know, we do find opportunities across our own individual areas as well. So I think it, it is a challenge, but I think with the teamwork that we've got, we all integrate really, really well. Definitely. And it's, it's funny in the Northeast, isn't it? And I suppose in Cumbria, there are, there are certain areas where there's like massive employers. So we've got things like, um, 
the NHS. We've got a very large, very large NHS institutions dotted around um, the Northeast in Cumbria. Um, there was, I always remember the McVitie's factory is in Carlisle, isn't it? The, the bloody McVitie's factory. It's amazing. I don't, have we got a job there yet? <laughs> um, yeah, I think we have, yeah. I think we have actually. Oh goodness, amazing. And I mean, um, on the other end of the spectrum, the Cellar Field's there too. Yeah, I was going to say Centre Parks in Penrith is another big one. I think everyone in Penrith actually works at Centre Parks. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool to have, Not like, um, uh, maybe for people who don't know, we need to explain briefly that one of the big parts of our job is that we we meet a service user, we meet someone who's receiving support from mental health services, then we go out and we, we find an employment opportunity, which we think is um, in line with that person's interests and um, experience and skills. So we do a, an awful lot of employer engagement. And um, I mean, we're definitely going to do a podcast on this guy's almost because it's, it's probably one of the biggest parts of the job and sometimes, sometimes the trickiest, especially during COVID-19. But um, I, I generally find it quite exciting because you come into contact with employers who you'd never in a million years meet like McVitie's, possibly like Salafield. Um and most of the time, employers are pretty, pretty on board with speaking with us. But we'll we'll come back to that. Um, something I was going to ask you is that, um, which people might not know, is who do we work with? Who how how do you get to work with IPS? Um, we've kind of alluded to it. We've talked about service users, but who who do we really serve? We take referrals down from you, um, anybody within the community treatment teams or of the, any of the intervention teams. Um, wherever someone is um, in, is being supported by a member of the community treatment team and at any time they're having a conversation where work is mentioned and people um, have a desire to, to look for work or get back into work. Um, but also people who might be in work at the moment and just need a bit of additional support with their employer. Um, so really, whenever there's a conversation around employment, or paid employment specifically, within the trust and within the service, that you know that people will think of us and, and ask, ask us to get involved. And we'll go along and initially um, introduce ourselves and give um, you know give the service user some information on how we can help and go through what to expect from the journey and the relationship that we'll start to develop. And we'll explain what we're able to do and how we can help. But we don't have a very, um, you know, um, the criteria. That's the only, there's no restrictions in the, to the, you know, to, as long as people are in support of the, um, and working with the community treatment team, they can work with us. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful, Lou. Absolutely fantastic. Um, we were all nodding along and no, it doesn't translate well to a, an audio recording, but heads were nodding along. There's Lou was speaking because she was capturing like a lot of what we wanted to say. Um, I think this is one of the unusual things for people who aren't familiar with IPS, that we specifically work with people who might be going through really tough times, you know, like, so they might be, um, what kind of people, uh, what kind of people do we meet through early intervention and psychosis teams and community treatment teams? What types of things might they be experiencing guys? So the clients that we might work with might be suffering with depression, anxiety, especially more along the community treatment team clientele. 
early intervention and psychosis team clientele are people who could be hearing voices, experiencing auditory hallucinations. Yeah, um, yeah they'll come with a multitude of problems. You know, they might just be having a psychotic episode. They could have depression, anxiety, you know, stress-related type thing, bipolar, you know. All the clientele have some mental health issue going on. Yep. You know, yep. and we don't... You know, what criteria is quite an open criteria for what for the type of person we would work with. Absolutely. And and like uh thank you, Jill. That's a really nice summary. And like as as Lou said, we we don't um when we're like looking to meet people, we don't actually look at the diagnosis do we? We don't we're not as interested in do you know like um obviously we take it into account, but it's not a factor in deciding whether we work with someone or not. Um it's actually if they're interested in in talking about employment and thinking about it as an option. Um, and I think one of the unusual things about us is we're much more kind of socially focused, aren't we, rather than like medically focused. So we'll definitely take into account how someone's feeling and if they're highly anxious or if they're using maybe medication that might make them a bit drowsy or make them feel a bit unusual. But we're much more interested in hooking that person up with um routine and responsibility and colleagues and purpose and and hope and opportunity um because we know that i know i know i'm this i'm lapsing at the whole ips preachy mode right now but um i know we all feel like really passionate about it and i'm just keen that we're um for people who are maybe not familiar with ips we explain why we think why we're kind of using employment as a treatment i suppose that um actually given people access to those opportunities can sometimes be as beneficial as as medication or as um as some of the therapeutic interventions which are traditionally offered in the nhs and um how do we know that's the case am i talking rubbish how do what have you guys experienced because you've many of you have been doing this job for just over a year what have you guys found so far I, I don't want to keep talking like troops, but so. Uh, but what I find is, is that it using work as a therapeutic tool to en- enable someone to, like I said before, contribute to something positively into to society. And you touched on it, John, by having purpose and meaning to their lives is more likely going. They're, they're more likely not to come back into service once they've been reintegrated back into the community through work and building not just through work because I think that works just the tip of the iceberg of it but actually building up a social network of people through finding paid employment and 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 being around positive people they're more or less likely to return back into the services so yeah absolutely yeah that's what I found and that sense of normal it's about um Yeah, that sense of purpose, normality, self-worth, of um, a sense of belonging, of being back in society, of finding that you're really good at something, of being valued as well. And all those things that you get then actually really builds a person up again. Because often, one thing that I just wanted to add as well, it's really important about our services, the people who we work with work with us out of charge. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really positive and lovely about the job is that um, our service users come to our service out of choice and they want to come and work with us because they really want to get back into work and they, it's so important to them that they're striving to get back into that part of life that we actually take for granted. 
and that is really so important for them to start accessing again because they want what everybody else has. And when we get them back into work, we start to see them thrive again. And it is a huge part of them maintaining their recovery. We're throwing this word around, but it's a really important word because that's them feeling like their life's going to stay on the track that they wanted on, which is actually that track of feeling like they're living the life how they want it to be. And it doesn't mean that everything's got better again, but it means that it's going to have a much better chance of staying where they want it to be. So that's the difference that employment can make. But it's not just about any old job. It's about the right job, the right employer and the right place that makes them feel positive with the right people around them, like what Jamie was saying. And that's what we hope to help them find through talking to them and listening to them and finding out what it is that they want and helping to then find those good opportunities for them with with them actually it's not for them we'll do it with them yep absolutely rachel if we could just take all of the words that you just said and we'll like transcribe them and then that can just become the ips bible and we'll we can all use that well i think some of us in the team it comes from lived experiences as well and that's why we speak very passionately because we've gone through this in our own way and We've had our own journey, and that means we speak from the heart when we talk about these things. That I think that beautifully segues um, into kind of discussion about COVID nineteen because something which we were working to talk about as a service was how we've how we've coped, yeah. And I think it's interesting, isn't it, as IPS specialists that we're used to helping other people think about how employment might support them through difficult times using employment as a as a as a therapeutic tool as jamie said but uh we've had to like practice what we preach recently haven't we um so obviously like the rest of the country when when lockdown occurred um how how has our i'm saying obviously like everybody knows exactly what's happened to us it's not obvious um can can some of you share about how we've had to change how we work what was life like before covid mark what did we do um, what did a typical day look like in your work and life? Um, so, yeah, just uh, no two days the same. Um, a diary full. Um, a lot of miles on the car. A lot of meetings. A lot of meeting interesting people. Seeking out new people. A, lo- um, a lot of trips to St. Louis Cafe, did you say? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I'm only joking. Um, honestly, I don't know how you managed to get that out of me. I didn't even say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, just just good. Just really, really different days and um, meeting interesting people for lots of different reasons, different settings. So yeah, I think uh, quite a tapestry. There you go, a tapestry of different beautiful. experience. I, and I think the biggest thing which which we've all struggled with was our entire work and lives pretty much was spent in the community, weren't they? We were out and about every day, different places, different clinical places, different employment places. And I was joking about Sainsbury's Cafe, but um, sometimes I think the best work we do when we're meeting service users is when we're like doing in inverted commas, normal things. Do you know, like meeting someone for a cuppa because they're much, I personally find people are much more likely to, open up and build a therapeutic like rapport with me when we are just two human beings like talking over a cup of tea rather than when we're in maybe a clinical space where it feels a bit more like there's a power dynamic you know like they have come to receive something from me the thing is john it's we're, we're talking about real life aren't we 
being part of community isn't sitting in some sterile room in, I don't know, wherever. It's about having a crack. It's about having a brew. It's about talking about, you know, what you want to do with yourself. It's, it's normal to do that. It's not necessarily normal to talk about it in a, in a nice kind of sterile environment that has its place, but not, not for everybody. And certainly not for me. Um, you know, and when, and I think when we're out and about in the community, that's when you hear about work opportunities as well, isn't it? You know, we, we try to get yeah. our service users to, you know, open up and network and, and look for opportunities themselves. And if we're out and about and we'll we'll make connections with the local job centres and we'll go into, for example, in South Shields where I'm based, I'll go into the customs house and the words to meet people and have a coffee. And that's when you get chatting to people and you see, you hear about jobs that are going on locally that you can tell your service users about. And being out and about in the community and networking is how you find opportunities. Absolutely. You see that. We, ad- Sorry, Faye. I was going to say, you see that advert in no. the butcher, butcher shop window. It still happens, doesn't it? That people will sometimes, because it's a bit of a hassle, like advertising something on Indeed or whatever, they'll just quickly stick something mm-hmm. up in the window when you see it. Sorry, Faye, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, we obviously meet people where they feel most comfortable. You know, everything we do is based on their preferences. And although we're mindful of confidentiality, you know, and finding a suitable place, we don't want, um, if we can help it, to be having appointments at the clinical base where we can be um, seen as another member of the clinical team because that's not that's not what we are. Um, and I think getting out there as well, it might be that we're working with people who have anxieties about being out in public and part of their journey, the work that we're doing is to get them out there and get used to being in, in different environments and settings. So I think it's there's lots of good things about being out in the community definitely we don't um, we don't which has open- obviously been affected a little bit yeah right we, now we don't openly talk about like graded exposure or behavioral activation like we don't we don't make a, a point of saying that's what we're going to do but i think we actually just happen to put it into practice just because of the nature of ips and um what we're trying to deliver yes how has stuff changed then so with lockdown uh because we could do a lot of our our work remotely uh, how have you guys been working for the last several months what does an average day look like now i think for me and piles of day, washing yeah being sat in piles of washing looking at me think part of most of the day <laughs> um i think like we've discussed before not to means it's, it's it's changed slightly if anything we probably work harder because we're accessible to the computer all the time so where we were going out and about, we had our travel time and, and, and meeting and visiting employers and clients. We're now probably doing, say, I'd, I'd argue twice the amount of work just because we're there constantly on the computer. Everybody's got instant access. It's a 24-7 society now. And just for me personally, one thing I've sort of found is, and it relates to clients being out of work, I've missed the office. So yeah, I've been quite lucky as well being able to do duty in Gateshead so that, that physical act of going into work, you know, it, it, it is a massive boost on my own personal mental health, you know, rather than being at home doing work in your own personal setting, five o'clock hits, you're still in your own personal setting. There's no, there's no leaving work at the door at the minute. So, you know, for people that may have mental health issues and, and anxieties and, and, and not having that 
outlet of, of, of getting out and about I, I've, I've sort of had a bit more of a, a fuller understanding of that I totally agree Ian that um, I think we all like thrived on helping other people or we all still thrive on helping other people and doing doing what's best for people but it takes a lot of energy doesn't it to be able to do that and I know personally it's it's sometimes difficult when you're working from home constantly and there's that always on culture to sustain that energy and it's definitely made me think about my mental health in relation to COVID and and working from home and boundaries being blurred you know like having very uh, sometimes really distressing conversations in my like bedroom or my living room or something and how that like impacts on my, the boundary between work and like uh, personal life. Um, how how have some of you cope with that or is it still something which is trying to find a balance with? Um, I am. Um, yeah. I, I, it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, you know, you can't, for me personally, it's, um, I need, I need that boundary. And, um, I think it's very hard to manage. Obviously it's individual, you know, everybody has their own sort of how you do it. Uh, for me, I need that, uh, period of time where I can actually, as Ian said, just, um, kind of almost kind of go through an airlock as kind of an, an analogy, but that's that. And this is this. And I need that transference. And it, as, as Ian has said, it's really opened my eyes to probably what an awful lot of my clients talk about in terms of, um, you know, potentially the journey is the other way around. But, you know, being stuck uh, and, and kind of the fear of going forward into something else. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's an insight um, and it's certainly given me something else to, to think about. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is a challenge to manage that for sure. I think um, I think sometimes as well as a community worker, sorry, John, unbeknownst to us, sometimes some of your best work that you do is actually in that half an hour drive back to the office yeah, or to the appointment because you're just reflecting on what's happened and you do some of your best work in those 20 minutes, those half an hour. Right at the minute we don't switch off from the computer. Right, you're wrong, yeah, personally, I'm, I'm, I'm there again, like I say, on the computer, going on the next thing, on the next thing, on the next thing. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. I think so much of this job is about creativity because you're constantly having to think about creative solutions to problems and, you know, like, how do I help someone get that job or what do I need to tweak to make that happen? Um, how do I get in contact with that person? How do I fit that thing in there? And um, that appointment in there. And I think it's very hard to sustain that creativity sometimes when you're feeling like worn down and stuff. Um, but, but as Mark says, um, in some ways, I wonder if Corona is as catastrophic as catastrophic as it's been for, for the vast majority of people. Do you think it's kind of like, has it affected our ability to, to, to help people get jobs? And in some ways, do you think it might've made it easier to talk about mental health? Because suddenly, you know, people out there who maybe thought, oh, mental health is something that doesn't happen to me. It happens to people who are, you know, unlucky or maybe not looking after themselves, so, which we know is not true. You know, we've all got mental health. If you've got a brain, you've got mental health. But do you think Corona's kind of like leveled the playing field a bit and made people think, oh my goodness, you know, I need to be, I need to be more wary about mental health. I think, John, that it's brought around some kind of awareness that mental health doesn't discriminate on what kind of background you're from or what kind of area or the colour of your skin or your religious group or whatever, that it affects everyone. 
regardless of what title you've got above your head or if or what council estate you come from that it does it does actually affect everyone and touching on the lockdown or the excuse me i think it, it, in regards to the socially interactions that that you have with people as well that we had before the lockdown even going into the office and like what mark touched on having a cup of tea with a with a nurse i was going to say cpn then but having a cup of tea with a nurse and just having that kind of banter and bouncing suggestions of people and getting ideas from other people that's the way i mean we're all different but that is the way in which I, I I feel that I, I operate best, but also I'll touch on this before I finish. When we were given the green light to go back into the the, the whatever team we, we were in, me uh, the East uh, the Molyneux East team, I felt this like, and I shared about it in supervision because we'd been on lockdown for so long. I felt quite anxious about going back into base and, and having those social interactions with yeah. people, which was quite strange because I, I'm, I feel as though like I'm an, an extrovert who likes to be around people. So it's definitely had some kind of effect on on me, on my personal mental health, um, but also positives as well. But yeah. I totally agree. I felt, I felt the same way going and it wasn't like fear about infection. I think it was just that we'd been like, we'd been separated from physical. Do you remember when, when we met up, some of us met up face to face for the first time in several months and we were all kind of like awkwardly shuffling and looking at each other because we were so, I definitely felt it. We were so used to seeing each other on a little computer screen and to suddenly have like human beings in front of us who we were really interested in and cared about was like quite overwhelming, like set, in terms of sensory input, I was a bit like, whoa, like jangling from the sensory overload. Um, and it felt like a really unusual experience. And I can completely appreciate what that must feel like for, you know, some of the fantastically strong and resilient people that we, we work with when they're in a similar situation now. So I definitely think it's it's opened our eyes as a team, hasn't it? As, as awful as COVID's been, it's given us this like, this amazing unparalleled insight into what you know how we look after our own mental health how we support each other as a team as colleagues and as friends um in terms of jobs what have you guys noticed you know have we stopped getting jobs during this time or what's actually happened in terms of helping people into paid jobs i think people are still getting jobs john and i think this situation has opened up a lot of a really good community posts and positions now as well that might not have been there before and really interesting works uh, jobs have, have started to open up for people and obviously we know some of the sectors and have been really hard hit retail and hospitality especially um, have been really impacted by the pandemic um, but it seems like um, other opportunities have, have come around and jobs that people might not have thought of before they're thinking about now but what I've tended to find is as long as we can keep engaging people and helping them stay motivated and looking for work people are actually getting quite creative about looking to see what else is out there and okay there might not be that role in retail that they might have initially thought about but it's helped us to maybe look at the other skills that they have and other areas they could, they could move into so I think there's still opportunities out there and people are still finding jobs, even though there's probably or possibly more competition now. But as long as we can still help people to get the 
you know, the CVs on point and, and using any time that we can now to get themselves prepared and ready so that, you know, we know and hope that there will be an upturn eventually and people are going to be really well prepared and good to go. But there's nothing stopping us in the, in the, in the meantime. It's, it's business as usual as far as we're concerned and the way that we interact with people, um, you know, as best we can. Absolutely. I think people are sick of me saying this, but I think in some ways it's it's helped us open doors quicker with businesses now because beforehand we would often approach a business and be like, hi, I'm John from the NHS. And they'd be like, why is the NHS coming to speak to me? This is very strange. What has the NHS got to do with employment? And you would have to spend a bit of time warming them up and explaining why, you know, why we do this job, why it might be of benefit or interest to them. But now they're like, NHS, oh my goodness, yeah, mental health, even better. Come and chat with me, please, because... They've often got workforces who are their their well being is is at risk because of COVID. You know, employers are frightened at the minute about mental health, and they're not very well equipped. Some of them aren't very well equipped to support workforces. So, us being able to provide some advice or guidance while also helping our service users get into jobs, um, I find it's a little bit better received now than it was pre COVID. Um, and so far, just for. Uh, I'm sure that the team are much too modest to share this, but we've actually got more jobs in the first quarter of this year. So from uh, the first three months from April, the, the first quarter of this financial year, we've got more jobs then than we did in our first several months of operation from last year. And I think to do that, despite the, you know, the global pandemic and the financial fallout from it is really pretty, pretty impressive. And it, it makes me think that we're doing, you know, we're getting better at this and it's something that we're going to be able to build on as time goes on as well. So it's, uh, I'm, re- I'm pretty confident that we're going to still be able to support a lot of our service users in a really good quality jobs, um, despite the challenges that we're going to be facing. Is it people, are, people are nodding. I know it's, uh, I, I, I totally agree. And I think, I think it's just keeping going with it. So for me personally, when COVID hit, I had a crisis of confidence straight going, oh my God, I now have the hardest job in the world. Trying to find people employment where jobs are going left, right and centre. Yeah. But just, just you know, and, it, and it's again, it's about hope and it's just sticking with the fundamentals of what we do. People come to us and say, I find a lot of people have lost their self-confidence in themselves because they've got a mental health diagnosis. They stigmatise themselves. Forget about anybody else, they've, they've stigmatised themselves. So part of my job is to say, right, this is just one facet of your life. And when I come to do the CV, that's the most powerful piece of work I think I do because I say, right, you've got your, your anxiety disorder. But yeah, as you'll see, this is CV. This is everything else that you have got. This is who you are. And when somebody sees that and takes control of that and takes ownership of that, that's when I found that, that they get that job. So it's that individualized thing again. So yes, COVID hit. Yes, it's very, very challenging. But we give people hope we get people to see what they are, what they are, what they're worth. And that I think comes across sometimes very, very powerfully on CVs that we help clients produce and fundamentally in interviews when they're there on their own. And I think that's why we've had such success during COVID personally. Definitely. I, I, I don't know if you guys notice as well, but I'm seeing a lot more job adverts that are specifically calling out 
lived experience. So they're asking for people who have lived experience. And it's really flipping refreshing to see that because I know there's been certain areas that have really pushed that and prioritized it. And I'm thinking of like friends and colleagues who work in recovery colleges and in like peer support um, programs. Do you know, like they've really, they've really encouraged this type of, um, you know, it's just, for me, it's just common sense, but I appreciate in the world of HR, it can be tricky to like affect that change, but it's really refreshing to see that starting to filter out and that employers are saying, do you know what? I'm not as interested anymore in qualifications, but I'm interested in your values as a person and your experience as a, as a human being as well. And often saying lived experience is a positive attribute, which we want to hear about. And I think like Ian saying it plays to our strengths, doesn't it? Because we can help people tell a different story, not necessarily one of like, yes, they've experienced adversity and perhaps even um, like real suffering and stuff, but that hasn't necessarily, that's part of the story, but it doesn't define them. And we can help, help them tell a different story, which talks about their strength and resilience and amazing insight and um, tenacity, do you know, which, which we see every day, I know, but it's, it's lovely to be able to call that out with employers and use it to kind of um, help someone get their, get a job that they're really interested in. Um, guys, we've been talking for 50 minutes already. Um, how long do you think the average listener is going to stick with us for? Do you think we need to wrap this up now? Is there anything else anyone would like to talk? <laughs> there's, uh, there's a couple of no- nodding our heads. Um, yeah. John, your sultry tones are easy to listen to, man. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> I listen to a lot of podcasts just to like wind down at the end of the day. And yeah, well, I hope people have, um, I'll, I'll, I'll fade in the outro music, but I hope people have enjoyed us having a bit of a chat and that we can do this again soon. Um, we've knocked around some ideas, haven't we, for a second episode, like the types of things that we might talk about. But do you guys want to... Maybe we can poll people as well, but would you guys be up for us talking about fidelity maybe in the next episode and saying what it is? Ian shaking his head vigorously. Um, sh- <laughs> maybe we could talk about what fidelity is, why it's important in employment support in IPS, um, and obviously our recent fidelity score, which was pretty, pretty good. Um, but we're looking forward to welcoming welcoming some service users to the podcast soon as well. So getting some feedback from service users about what it's like to work with IPS specialists. Um, maybe we could interview some clinical colleagues, um, have a chat about disclosure, about how to deal with when you first get a job or when you get knocked back at interview. Um, lots of ideas. We'll try and keep the podcast going monthly. And how can people get in touch with us? How can they write to us with suggestions how can that has to be referred to us how can they comment on mark and ian's lovely podcasting voice <laughs> you can email us i'll <laughs> people are looking i'm laughing because <laughs> everyone's so polite they don't want to uh, jump out and say but please listen go on, it's mark. not about politeness you've got the sultry you've got the broadcaster's voice <laughs> to be fair i'm talking on a, i'm talking on a proper microphone and you guys are having to make do with teams but when we do get out of lockdown, we'll meet up in real life, won't we? And we'll all be sat around the table, hopefully, and we can all um, talk on proper mics. So it'll be much nicer. If anyone would like to get in touch with us, if you'd like to ask questions or find out more about the service, please email us. Our catch-all address is ips at cntw.nhs.uk or you can Google 
um, C-N-T-W-I-P-S, and you can find out more about us there. Um, can you guys all shout goodbye in unison, do you think? Goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you in the next podcast. Cheers.